Back makes it easy to spend, send, and earn crypto. With Back, you can earn $1 in Bitcoin per day when you pay using your Back card with Apple Pay. Tap into crypto from December 15th through the 24th and score up to $10 in Bitcoin. Terms and conditions apply. Learn more at back.com slash Apple Pay. I'd like to also thank Kraken. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit kraken.com scoop to learn more. Earn more with your crypto on Kava. Kava is a fully integrated decentralized finance platform that puts the power of lending, borrowing, and trading in the hands of users. Find out how you can take control of your crypto and earn industry-leading yields at kava.io today. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. And today we have a very special reunion of sorts for folks who have been OGs in the market. They know back when Body and Larry were, were together over at um, Dyer, I think is how you say it. Now you're over at Copper, leading the research effort. So we've got two of the most prominent minds in the research world coming together. Thanks for uh, coming on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. And uh looking forward to this chat. Me too. So obviously yesterday was a big day in the regulatory world. I don't know if you were watching the hearings here in the US and DC. I know Larry was. We were going back and forth about how impressive the testimony of Mr. Brooks was of Bitfury. What do you make of it? It seems like a different regulatory environment than it may be in 2019 when the, the same congressmen and women were jumping down the throat of David Marcus. Yes, uh, I think yesterday's uh, hearing was super interesting, uh, mainly because we saw a shift in tone by the Congress people. There was a little bit more education. People knew what they were talking about, and they were asking some questions that were actually a little bit more in-depth to, to what's possible within this space. It used to be very painful to listen to politicians speak about crypto. It wasn't painful yesterday. There was a few questions that were a little bit off-putting, but generally speaking, there was a very positive attitude towards what the industry can do and how this, the United States can stay ahead. Did they talk about volatility much? I feel like that's kind of one of the lingering blemishes on crypto's value proposition, as much as we can talk about how it's opening up finance to the unbanked, which SBF brought up and will present economic opportunities to different different groups, there's still like this big blemish or black eye, which is shit hits the fan. We were talking about people being over levered before we turned on the mics. They're certainly over levered and over over invested. They're definitely over levered offshore. Is that an issue from your perspective? I think um they did mention volatility a few times. But here's the thing. Bitcoin will do what Bitcoin does. If Bitcoin stops being volatile, it's not Bitcoin. Something is off. Bitcoin trades in a very volatile manner. The thing that I want to highlight is that 
As far as good governance of money goes, Bitcoin has transparency and accountability. And there's enough information today. It's not 2017 anymore. I think Larry can attest to this when we were spending hours on hours collecting data. Now we've got a whole slew of services where you can go in and say, okay, what's happening on exchanges? What are the inflows? What are the reserves? And that level of transparency is not available in any other asset class. So while the volatility doesn't make sense, there's something that someone can go back and say, oh, okay, supplies are going down. Maybe that's why the price is going up and vice versa. And that's something that you know we, we've been able to really look at and see happen in, in real time. Yeah, I, I would just say, I would just add on to that, that like kind of blaming volatility is always almost the laziest argument that you can use. Like Fadi said, like, of course, in early markets, of course, there's going to be volatility and you add that it's trading 24-7 and there are no circuit breakers. Uh, and there's just so many aspects to this. And, and you can also argue that this is a freer market than, than anything else, right? So, like, of course, there's going to be a little bit more volatility. And of course, like, you know, until Bitcoin ends up maturing a little bit more, there's going to continue being volatility. There's always going to be some volatility because of these things. But if you look at, if you look at Bitcoin and Ethereum, historically, the volatility generally, uh, you know, has decreased slowly uh, and it will probably end up decreasing more as, as the market gets larger. So I, I think that's kind of a lazy argument that people use to compare to something that's not really comparable to, which is a market that trades, you know, way less. It's, it's much more regulated in a lot of ways. So I think it's totally fine. You know, there's, there's something that needs to be considered as well, that Bitcoin still remains, there's still, we, we like to say that, that it's that it's grown and there's institutional investors. And while that may be the case, uh, much more so now than before, it's still a retail-driven investment device and asset class. And so what happens is that in crypto, we've got, we've got two extremes. Either we have extremely enthusiastic buyers or we have enth- extremely enthusiastic sellers. The number of buyers and sellers are equal, always. There's always the equal amount of buyers and sellers. But what changes is that enthusiasm. So that's why we see you know, Bitcoin becoming super overbought on some metrics, and then we set, see it super oversold. So that's just the case today. How that develops is probably going to change, in my opinion, as Bitcoin becomes expensive. I think that's when volatility will actually begin to subside, when it's actually expensive to sell and buy Bitcoin. Uh, People will think about it twice. Mm. So what other metrics do you look at for something being overbought? Look, I I think one of the things that drives the cryptocurrency markets are sort of these technical indicators and, and these sort of algorithmic bots. And... Maybe people don't really believe in technical indicators. Maybe technical analysis isn't very correct for a lot of people. That's not really the point. The point is that there's enough people that believe that on the relative strength index, Bitcoin is overbought or Bitcoin is oversold, or you know it needs to trade along the 200 moving average, right? So there's certain market beliefs and people trade along these market beliefs. That's generally, I think, the way, way these markets have been working. One belief is that Bitcoin is this inflation hedge, store of value asset. We saw that play out with the CPI drop in mid-November when we saw that 6% print. Bitcoin popped, but then on Omicron headlines and Fed um, headlines, it, it pulled back in line with risk stocks and other 
assets. So is there like an identity crisis happening with with Bitcoin? Does it does it not know who she is? What's going on there? I would say in general, um, I mean, if you look at the data over the last probably like year and a half, it's very clear that Bitcoin correlates with equities and with macro in negative environments, right? So if, if there's a if there's a crash in, in the equity markets or if there is some concern on the macro side, like we saw with China, uh, now we saw with Omicron and, and multiple different things, Bitcoin almost always correlates to negative effects, but it almost never correlates to positive effects or, you know, basically when, when the market is either doing well or doing okay, uh, Bitcoin is relatively uncorrelated. So when you actually chart out correlation over the time, you can see the spikes are happening when there's a lot of uncertainty, when the market is not doing that well on the equity side. So I think like both things can be relatively true, right? Like obviously Bitcoin is still risky to hold if people expect that there's going to be some sort of a recession or some sort of a, a equity crash. Well, we, we saw a prime example of that was what happened with, with COVID when it was starting, right? Like Basically, when there is a liquidity crunch, Bitcoin will crash as well. It, it should be the expected behavior. But at the same time, it is still viewed by macro investors. And the reason why it has run up so much, it is because like people are concerned about central banks, uh, what they're doing, how they're handling their operations. So I would say it's still doing both, but you can't really expect it to you know, continue going up even if the macro environment is not that well. Like, it, it just doesn't trade away for the last two years. Yeah, I think I think you, you, had, uh, you had actually pointed that out and I think, Larry, you were one of the first people that pointed that out in Black Thursday, that markets went into complete correlation. And so, you know, we've got that negative effect from global markets. The thing that I want to point out is that Bitcoin is still quite up from the start of the year. Maybe it's quite down from its all-time high, but it's still quite up from the start of the year. And it's dealt with the Delta virus, the Omicron virus, the China ban, Evergrande collapse. I don't know how many other regulatory hearings, and and it's still fairly up. So you know, yes, it correlates and it does. It's it's done a bit of a negative turn, but it's still performing admirably well. If this was 2017, Bitcoin would be ten bucks. Yeah, and I would say you know, like we, we've seen, we're always like talking about US dollar and euro, but yeah, I mean, you look at some other currencies, and and you know, for for those people, it's serving really well. Like if they have access to to crypto in general, you know, you see the situation, what's going on with Tur- with Turkey and, and Turkish lira, it's it's like really sad, right? Like you're effectively seeing a complete collapse against the US dollar, and this is happening in, in multiple different countries, and there are a lot of issues like that that are providing a very effective uh, inflation hedge to these people. And, and, and effectively for those people, it's almost like protection against, against political instability, against corruption, um, and it works for sure in that regard. Listen, Bitcoin is not immune to, to being um, assessed like every single other asset class. It's, it's a, it's, in my opinion, it's a, it's a very, very strong brand. Right. And I think as a brand that that has value, when you look at something like like Bitcoin, you have some fundamentals that you can look at and you've got quite a strong audience who absolutely love it, just like they love Apple, just like Warren Buffett loves his Coke. Right. There's something to be assessed with Bitcoin and saying, well, wait a second, you know, Bitcoin, everyone knows what Bitcoin is. It's a global market. This is where we're at. There's going to be some contagion. That's fine. That 
that's actually a positive thing. It's saying that when something happens to the world, something also happens to Bitcoin. It's not immune to it, right? I have a question for you, Fadi. So I remember, you know, early early days in DR, you know, 2017, 2018, uh, it was a lot of like really, really sketchy stuff going on. And, you know, we were covering a lot of that. And both of us, I think, I mean, you're more optimistic, but both of us are skeptical that that's going to lead to a lot of good things. But since then, which is, you know, now about like four years or something, the space has drastically changed. And so even some of the projects that ICO'd are now like relatively well-doing companies. You know, you have something like Binance, Crypto.com. A few of these have, you know, arguably done incredibly well. You know, what do you think about that kind of change from what we were doing back then to, to now when you actually have legit projects, you know, really smart people involved? How has it changed for you and how do you perceive that change yourself? Um, I think 2017, 2018 was, was for, for me and you depressing because we're looking at the, the massive amounts of money people were making. And it was just like, where is this going? Right. It's, it's, it's going nowhere. And you know, it's changed drastically because there's an actual, I'm, I'm not going to say a utility per se, but the potential of things has come really, really to light and people are understanding it a lot more. I think we still have a long way to go, but remember that there's only a handful of projects that have done well after they ICO'd. But having said that, it's interesting that the market sort of even self-regulated on, on that aspect, and you're not seeing these sort of scam projects pop up anymore. So that's a positive. It shows, it shows that crypto markets can be extremely irrational, and it, they can become extremely rational. And no one's investing in random ICOs that have, you know, spam bots on Twitter. Yeah, but they are investing in Doge coins and meme coins. But that might be a derivative of equities pouring into crypto, not the other way around. The market's also a bit more dynamic now, right? I mean, if you think about the way different assets move, it's not everything following Bitcoin's lead. There's NFTs, which sometimes when ETH will pump, NFTs will, will go down vice versa. So there's a bit more, um, it's a bit more of a dynamic market than it yeah. was in 2017. It's not just one market. There seems to be several different markets now within just this this market. You Like we saw the metaverse coins pumping while everything was kind of just in the doldrums for a while. Then they went down. ETH was doing okay while Bitcoin was kind of stuck right after that initial crash last week. So that keeps things more interesting. Yeah, I think, honestly, it's like one of the more bullish things that I think have happened over the last couple of years is that now you actually don't have the 90 plus percent correlation on basically everything, right? Like you like you said yourself, you have a few different sectors, you know, whether it's meme coins, whether it's uh, whether it's some of these like gaming coins or whether it's, uh, it's, it's just L1s. We've seen cycles of this and we've seen them behave in a very uncorrelated way to everything else. And that just means, you know, even if it's meme coins, it just means that the market is, is like finding some some foothold in, uh, in in just how it behaves and how it prices things based on the information that it has. Uh, that I think is like really positive because, you know, now people can actually, you, you could argue that there are going to be a lot of bear markets. And you could even argue that a lot of the coins that are pumping right now are going to go down 95%. But you could also argue that that's not, not really going to affect anything else, right? Like we're, we've now seen a massive bear market in NFTs. NFTs have gone down maybe... 70 60 percent uh since since the, the top <laughs> and 
you know, there are a few other examples like that. Like Dogecoin was almost like 70 cents or something. Now it's at 20 cents. There have been cycles of these smaller subcategories of these coins. Uh, and I think that's really bullish. And, and to me, it hints at that they're probably not going to be like really long bear markets. Like there, there was one before, right? Like there were several before, but we had one that was almost three years. It would be very surprising to me if that ever happens again, primarily because of this, because market is not more mature, behaves, you know, based on the information that it has uh, and has these subcategories of these coins that, you know, move relatively independently based on Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I think that's pretty positive. It is positive. And, and I do agree with you in the fact that we're not going to likely see bear markets as we've seen in the past, per se. Uh, we'll still see volatility, but not, not bear markets. Now, there's two things to sort of unpack here. On the Dogecoin, I think there's something interesting happening there as well. There's a social aspect to that price appreciation. Bitcoin is a more fundamental price appreciation. But we've got to remember that Bitcoin also started as a social coin. Bitcoin also started by a couple of people who really believed in it and started becoming very vocal about it. And that community continued to grow and grow and grow. And that's what we have today on, on Twitter, a very vocal community. Now, Bitcoin has shifted into a fundamentally important coin, but it started off as something that was socially significant to these people. And that's what kind of blew us, blew things over. So I think the aspect of social coins is, is something very important. Anything with a fan base. And I think that's the change of understanding of value and money, that it's about your ability to sell it and how much liquidity there is. That's all that matters now about how to transfer value. That's it. Is there liquidity? Can I sell it? That's it. And with tokens, that's what you've got. If you've got enough people wanting to buy something, you've got something very powerful there. Yeah, is it all just Ponzi still, Larry? Some of it is for sure. It definitely attracts, you know, Ponzi's by itself. I think they attract investors because it's something that you can play, right? It's almost like a game uh, where you have some expected outcome. Is that if more people join, it's going to go up, and then you have to exit at the right time. Uh, and that's similar to Dogecoin, similar to Shiba, right? Like you're playing, I think, a similar game where it is about like, you know, a lot of people investing in it and then you kind of time in the exit. Uh, so that, that is interesting to invest in because it's predictable. Whereas like you look at something like Bitcoin, it's not so predictable, right? Like you, you don't really have perfectly available information. But in general, one thing I wanted to add to what Fadi mentioned is that like when I remember 2017, 2018, there was like pretty good liquidity on Bitcoin Ethereum. It was decent. It wasn't great. Now that's so much better. But there was almost no liquidity for the long tail back then. Uh, and now you have derivative markets on FTX, on Binance, on Huobi and, and some other exchanges who are trading billions of dollars uh, for Dogecoin perps. You have, you have billions of dollars for, for you know, mana and cent perps right now. So, you know, these markets, like Fadi mentioned, like, you know, you can exit seriously large positions if you want and with very little impact to the market. And that, that definitely certainly wasn't the case before. Like, in really large investors struggle to exit the markets. Now you have a lot of liquidity. You have market makers trading, you know, usually like 5 to $10 billion on, on a daily basis in these markets. So it's, it's a completely different beast right now. You might be in the middle of a shopping scramble for last minute gifts and thinking, wouldn't it be nice to buy some of them with crypto? Well, your time has come. Before you make your next purchase, consider Backed. Backed makes it easy to spend crypto and today through December 24th, 
you can earn $1 in Bitcoin each day you pay using the back card with Apple Pay. Not to mention you can load your back card with crypto and use some of that virtual value for holiday gifting. Earn crypto when you pay using the back card with Apple Pay from December 15th through the 24th and score up to $10 in Bitcoin rewards for twice the nice. Terms and conditions apply. Learn more at back.com slash Apple Pay. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go 24-7. Simply download the Kraken app, connect your bank account, and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. Are you ready to take your crypto earnings to the next level? Kava is a fully integrated decentralized finance platform that combines institutional grade security and user driven design. Lend, borrow, and trade your crypto all in one seamless experience. Find out how you can take control of your crypto and earn industry leading reward APYs at kava.io today. I wonder if there are folks listening thinking, okay, I've got two of the more intelligent, skeptical researchers in the space saying that basically uh, it's just going to slowly go up forever, basically. And that's the, <laughs> that's the new paradigm. I'm going to sell immediately, not tomorrow, <laughs> right now, because it's it's there's too much bullish froth. What systemic risk could there be, though, in the market that could drag us down for, for a while? Could systemic risk creep up and uh you know obviously a lot of people outside of crypto like to point at tether i don't think it's it's probably tether but it could be maybe something else um i think people people within crypto who know the history of tether get fairly freaked out the reality is is that anytime tether kind of dips below parity it's a buying opportunity for a lot of people and it sort of comes right back up to to parity. Is it a systemic risk? Sure, but it's it's not unreplaceable now. USDC is doing very well. Uh, Paxos is doing very well. And I think the interesting thing about yesterday's hearing was how much discussion was around stable coins. And I think th this is a a bit of a setup to what we're going to see soon in commercial banks taking on a much bigger role in the issuance of stable coins, whether they do it themselves or whether they partner with someone like Circle or Paxos, I think we're inev inevitably going to see it. A CBDC is not going to come anytime soon. No central bank wants to deal with a retail CBDC. Maybe they'll do a wholesale. But in the meantime, if they don't let commercial banks begin issuing sort of stable coins or participating in the stable coin market, you're going to see USDC or at least Circle have been the top five financial institutions by deposits in the next year. I would I would add on to that. So I, I personally don't think that, that, that there is a systematic risk anymore. I think you know the risk of it collapsing, uh, let's say, is, is virtually zero as long as there is no intervention by like some regulatory authority, would be my opinion. Uh, I would say there are two things that can really freak markets out in crypto. One sort of the obvious one is that 
you know, central banks are now starting to hint at tapering measures, starting to hint at being less aggressive when it comes to just responding to, to COVID and responding to the situation. That, I think, can have a very negative effect when, you know, the market all of a sudden starts pricing in that the central banks are going to be way more conservative. They're going to operate similarly to before. You know, some people think they'll never be able to do that because they've already started on this on this path and it's going to be very hard to go back. I think they will. It's probably going to take longer than people think. It's probably going to be you know, half a year to a year. I think it can definitely freak markets out because now the expectation is that there's not going to be as much money coming into the circulation as there was before that could crash the markets, both on the equity side and both on the crypto side. Second risk that I think is, is pretty real, but I think it's now smaller after what I've seen yesterday at the hearing is the regulatory risk in the US, right? Like you have the SEC uh, has been relatively unfriendly for the last, you know, six months or something. And then coming in and, 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 for example, saying that basically everything outside of proof of work coins are securities, that can have a pretty bad impact on the market. Another bad impact could be just outlawing stable coins overall. Uh, after yesterday's hearing, I think it's a relatively small chance. But if it happens, I think it can freak markets out. So those are the two things that I'm watching that I can have a pretty negative impact. But outside of that, I think like, you know, when, when I look at 2017, it was kind of like, wow, like now this has gone down 90%, like it might actually die. It might actually still just be like this thing that survived for some time and now it's dead. I actually felt that way. Now it feels like that cannot happen. It, it's become big enough where this is an established asset class that's traded by basically everyone, even investment banks now. And it, it, I can't see it going away completely, which I could before. Uh, so it's possible that there are going to be some pullbacks. I think they're not going to last for too long. But I think that's the biggest chance that now people are already pricing in that this is something that's going to stay. And this is something that millennials and younger people like to trade. And that's super, super powerful. And there is this like global message, right, to regulators that I think is pretty palpable, which is you don't want to get beat by China or someone else and ignore something that could be the future of how value is exchanged between people. And it's certainly already the future today. We see it in various countries where, to Larry's point, the regimes do not have a strong, sound monetary financial system. There's adoption there. You know, yesterday they were talking a lot about the US dollar as a global reserve currency and that if we continue to participate through the stable coins and the, the, the open financial market and Web 3.0, that this will help the US dollar maintain its global reserve status. The thing is, I don't actually believe that the US dollar is losing that because of primarily because of inflation and their their quantitative easing policies. I think over the last decade, US regulators, FinCEN in, in, in specifically, have made compliance measures outside the US extremely unattractive for banks to deal with. So nobody wants to deal with the US dollar because compliance officers in banks outside the US have to put their clients through rigorous analysis of every single transfer just to transfer that information to FinCEN. And so it's actually, I think, the extreme amount of regulation that has made the US dollar a little bit less attractive to the world. Who's winning? Who benefits from that? I don't think anyone anyone wins here. I think the, the US dollar being weak bodes well for some industries. 
tourism, for example, but it doesn't help in, on other sides. No one's really winning on, on, on the currency wars. It's not, I don't think it's a really a currency war per se. I think people are understanding the value proposition of something like Bitcoin. And one of the things early on in the, in the, in the hearing yesterday was, about, um, was a question to Coinbase about how will consumers be protected in case of a hack. And the, I think it was Congressman, Congresswoman Maloney um, who said, you know, the banks have FDIC insurance and our, the, the, the depositors are protected. And I think there's, there seems to be a lack of understanding of how much protection FDIC actually gives. It's, you know, the, the, the U.S. deposits are somewhere around 20, 22 trillion right now. And the FDIC insurance has around 120 billion. It doesn't cover it in a bank failure. It's, it's 1%. Uh, the, Europe is even worse. So it's a little bit disingenuous to say, oh, the FDIC is protecting bank depositors. It's not. Yeah, yeah. 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 And there are a lot of exchanges run their own security funds and, and kind of like, you know, cover a good portion of, of any potential thefts as well. So in that way, I think it's, it's self-regulating relatively nicely. And also one thing that like most people don't realize, I remember, you know, 2017, 2018, we used to cover these hacks on a daily basis almost. It was ridiculous. There's like one after another now, you know, you have less of these venues that are serious, and the longer they don't get hacked, you know, the smaller the chances that something actually happens. And, you know, as Fadi knows, like, custody has, has grown quite a bit. Like, now it's just the processes are much better, uh, and, and these companies are now protected much, much better than they were before. So that's why you don't see many of these news anymore, unless it's uh, almost like a rug pull or, or some sort of, like, insider job. But that's the thing, like, if you think about some of these Congress people and maybe even Wall Streeters who are afraid to get in, the Wall Street Journal B1 story on crypto or, or front page story on crypto isn't going to be, okay, this crypto custodian just got its SOC 2 compliance uh, implemented. It's not going to be, oh, you know, there's this new insurance policy that Coinbase is rolling out to protect assets. That's boring. They want to run the stories that are exciting. This, you know, hundred, two hundred million dollar hack. What was the most recent one? Resulted in client funds being lost, or they want to run the story about CZ getting chased out of Singapore before that China. After that, Malta. I don't even know where he is now. Maybe you do, uh, Larry. But in Dubai. In Dubai. There you go. So that's maybe that's why there's this context that they have of the space kind of being like this Wild West, because all of the headlines, major headlines, are when shit hits the fan versus the slow progression of market maturation that we've looked at and covered over the past three years. There's a problem within crypto still, and that I'm not going to point my finger at Binance uh, specifically, but there's a lot of exchanges right now that are running outside any kind of perimeter of the law and that freaks regulators out and that's the reason i believe we're not going to see a bitcoin spot etf anytime soon because when the sec comes back every single time with a rejection and they talk about market manipulation what they're talking about is everyone outside of the us effectively because they've got no control over that and the sec basically has a has an ace in their hand. They know they have an ace. 
And they're not going to fold it until they take all the chips. And that's where things can get very dangerous for Bitcoin. And I was speaking to Larry about this about a week ago, that I do believe that things can get extremely dangerous soon, potentially. If push came to shove, you can you can have sort of these US exchanges say, you know what, we're not going to accept any more incoming Bitcoin from unregulated exchanges, right? And then sort of you're, you're kind of blacklisting certain Bitcoin and you've got a problem there. And that's dangerous. Uh, what will happen there? Markets will crash. Unregulated exchanges will lose most of their market share. And, you know, we're, we're back in sort of a reset. You've killed off the competition and the SEC is happy because now it's got complete control over the market. So I think these, these sort of unregulated exchanges are, as long as they continue to work outside of this sort of perimeter, it's going to be difficult for the industry as a whole to improve much, much larger to the scale we all want it to be. If they come into the fold a little bit and they're a little bit more open, I think that could be very good for the space. I mean, Mr. Brooks yesterday, he was, an, he was super impressive. That was, that was an impressive guy. He knew what he was talking. He was on point. Not once did he say the word um in any of his discussion. The guy was absolutely brilliant. Binance had him and lost him after three months. That tells you something. That tells you something. I, I would say, though, to counter that a little bit, I would say that, you know, Binance, even Binance, which basically used to say, you know, we don't have any offices. We are completely decentralized in every way. We're never going to be regulated. In the last, like, three months, they've changed completely, right? The, like, CZ is now going around and saying, you know, I, I, I'll, we're going to be regulated. We have to be regulated to onboard people. You know, I'm going to uh, bring on a CEO that's regu- regulation first. So I, I would say that's already happening. Like, they've probably realized that, you know, that's something that they have to do. And on the, on the other side, you have FTX, uh, which is now, you know, pr- their main competitor. And they've already started in a, in a much more regulated way that, you know, that they comply with regulations. And I think Sam said in like 50 plus or something even more jurisdictions. So I'm not as concerned about this, but I totally agree that it like generally it affects how regulators think about the space. And if you're allowed to do everything on Binance and you're not allowed to do anything on Coinbase, you create, you know, different competitive landscapes and different environments for them. Uh, but, but I do think that Binance is going in the direction of just like becoming like FTX, basically. Mm, they're just, they just start a little bit too late, maybe. Yeah, time. yeah. Well, the, the question is if, if they're going to be like BitMEX, right? Like if it's actually going to catch up to them. Uh, that, that I don't know. I, I would guess that it, it, it will eventually, just like with BitMEX, but you, you don't know, right? Like you don't know if, if, if they can flip the switch now and then be totally fine in the future. I doubt it, but it can happen. Even with BitMEX, all, all that really, well, we don't know what's going to happen to these founders, but the company is just now a sleepy kind of exchange. No one really thinks about that. Yeah. It used to be literally the center of liquidity. So yeah, maybe that, that does point to what could happen with finance, but obviously just a bit of just speculation. Maybe one last closing question for both of you guys. You know, now Ethereum is like 50% of Bitcoin. And, and now there's also just like before, there's now like the talk of, you know, Ethereum potentially flipping Bitcoin. And, you know, what is Bitcoin's value going to be if that ever happens? And, you know, it was the same thing in 2017. And now it seems like the narrative is a little bit stronger, but it's hard to tell, really. So I'm, I'm wondering what, you know, maybe Fadi, he can start. Like, what do you think about that? Like, if, if there's any chance of that happening with so much institutional buying right now in Bitcoin, um, and then how that would potentially affect the markets. I think Chainalysis wrote a report 
at the start of this year. It was titled, What You Wish You Knew in 2020. And it looked at exchange reserves prim- predominantly. It looked at exchange reserves and it was just a, a line going down, right? Half a million Bitcoins just removed off the exchange. You know, and, and most of the year it was trading at around 10 grand and suddenly in a couple of months it just goes up to 30, 40, 50. If you look at Ethereum reserves today, it's exactly that same downhill line. At some point, the fundamentals are going to have to catch up. And so if you look at that, those, those exchange reserves, it's exactly what, you, what happened with Bitcoin in 2020. It's happened to Ethereum now. Um, now, if Bitcoin flips, if Ethereum flips Bitcoin, I'm not sure that's sort of you know, the end of the world. Maybe, maybe that happens and, and maybe Solana flips Ethereum and maybe all of these scenarios. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is how are people going to store their value and what are they going to, to store their value? And I think Bitcoin is going to remain a high quality asset. You know, it's funny you asked the question, Larry, because we had Loomdart on the show two days ago and we talked about this very point. He, he thinks that it can really open up Pandora's box in a sense that there's no, there is no cap for the market, right? Everything kind of has that one threshold, right, that it would never breach. So in a world where Ethereum flips Bitcoin, to Fadi's point, then there's no ceiling anymore. Solana could very easily, if there's the momentum and just the speculative frenzy there, Solana could then flip Ethereum or Cardano could flip Solana, et cetera, et cetera. It, it just opens up a degree of uncertainty. So it's funny, Loomdart actually said that he doesn't want to see, even though he owns more Ethereum than Bitcoin, he doesn't want to see Bitcoin get flipped because then he's going to have to, or all of us are going to have to be active traders in a sense because the target's always going to be moving. There won't be that that sort of safety blanket or safe haven of of Bitcoin being the the top dog. I will say, thinking about the universe of investors who would invest in cryptocurrency, the the amount of folks who don't buy into Bitcoin is fairly large. And it's the same reason why they don't buy into like gold. If you think of a hedge fund like Steve Cohen, he's come out and said he's not really interested in Bitcoin, but he's obviously very keen on exploring DeFi and other financial use cases within blockchain. And so those type of investors, the ones that aren't really macro folks, but more like making equity plays, I feel like they're going to begin to be making some big bets into the other layer ones, possibly Ethereum, and that could get us to potentially that flipping point. I think it's important to remember that there are fundamentals at play here, right? And it's something that we can look at and we can track and we can see what's being used and what's not being used. And Cardano was not, is not being used because Cardano doesn't have anything. But, you know, Ethereum does. And so I think when we look at crypto valuations, it's really interesting to me that we've got on-chain data to support any kind of assessment. And we've got a lot more of it today than we ever did, right? You know, it's it, much, much better, much smarter, much more accessible. And so, you know, as long as people keep an eye on fundamentally what's going on and assess every crypto asset 
like they would they would assess any stock i think people will be in a good place but if people are just going there just for a sort of a momentum trading and volatility and just jumping on a bandwagon they're going to end up holding the bags but if people actually assess every single cryptocurrency like every single other company does it have a good team does it have uh, um good accountability does it have good fundamentals does it have uh, a good community does it have a good branding and even a good website yes these things matter right and people will look at that and say okay they've got the right ingredients we should invest or we should not invest because they don't have the right ingredients yeah one thing i'll add to that is that you know a lot of people argue that you know fundamentals don't matter it's just about you know it's just about the community blah 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 i think that's true in the short term but you look at basically all the like nonsensical coins that existed in 2017 that had no value whatsoever and they pumped you know whatever 100x 200x 1000x pretty much all of them are dead right now and you can see the same thing from the last cycle like 2015 or something uh, there were a lot of coins that were doing really well. We're in top 15, and almost all of them are out right now. Uh, this has happened to multiple different coins already. Like, you know, EOS was super hot, um, and, and now it's not anymore because, you know, it's just they didn't accomplish what they were saying that they would accomplish. And I think this will eventually happen to everything, like including DeFi coins, uh, including L1s that are not being used. Uh, fundamentals definitely matter, but they matter on a, you know, three to five year horizon. They don't matter on the short term. Uh, so that's why, you know, people are punting these things, even though they know that it's not super interesting or that there isn't much going on. But eventually that catches up. And so like Fadi said, uh, you have to constantly reevaluate the market uh, and you have to you, you have to make conviction bets, but you have to be able to reevaluate if something's not going well and then kind of just change your mind. And even the coins from 2017 that weren't flat out scams or ICOs are just in this graveyard of irrelevance dash comes to yeah. mind or mm, Neo. Neo. Yeah. There are a lot of there are a lot of those. Yeah. I mean look, there's there's definitely though a lot more blue chip cryptos today than there was in 2017. There's enough information and apps being built that, you know, you know, EOS was was basically gambling. Right, you know, Tron. I don't know. There's, there's so many that were just the the next, you know, hot crypto, and it's always the the next Ethereum killer. You know, give me a break, build right, and stop, stop trying to be an Ethereum ki- killer. Try and do something, something uh, unique. But you know, just one more thing that I th- that I think stood out yesterday's Congress uh, hearing was the fact that there was a a couple of times they were they discussed identity and privacy. And I think those two things are going to become very interesting topics in the future. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Zuko sitting on on one of these panels as a witness one day. (laughs) Well, we shall see. Thanks, guys, so much for stopping by The Scoop to chat with us on the market regulation. This has been really fun. Can't wait to get this out. Where can our listeners learn more about what you're working on Copper, I think we did a report with you guys, so yeah. I'll have to show the link. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, copper.co, we've got our insights page as well. We put out quite a bit of research. We've got quite a few series. Hopefully, I want to uh, work with Larry on something at some point as well and give some some analysis and some feedback from different parts of the industry. And uh, yeah, it was lovely being on The Scoop and, um, and uh, rejoining and reconnecting with Larry. Yeah, it was great.
Thanks. Once again, we've been joined by Larry Cermak, Vice President of Research at The Block, and Fadi Abu Alpha, Head of Research at Hopper. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks a lot, Frank. Lovely. Bye, guys.